what's going on, okay? All right, well, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be one in front of you, and open it up to page 1002. Uh, that's Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to be reading Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 19. Aaron Bartholomew's coming, he's going to read that. And why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of Scripture, and, uh, and let's read together Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore, swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lord. You may be seated. Uh, according to the American Heart Association, one person dies every 30 seconds in America from heart disease. It's unbelievable. Do the math, and that means that by this time tomorrow, 2,880 people Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, children will die of heart disease. It is the number one killer in America. Heart disease kills more people in America every year than all forms of cancer combined. It kills more people in America every year than every single roadway accident that we have. It is absolutely devastating. A once healthy, beating heart gets heart disease, gets slowly choked out, and maybe what is so tragic is that in most cases, it's preventable. Hebrews chapter 3 is all about heart disease, spiritual heart disease. It's all about helping us understand uh, what, this, what this looks like. But um, it's so tragic because spiritual heart disease like, like, you know, physical heart disease is preventable. It takes a once beating, zealous, passionate heart and it snuffs it out. I would dare say that it will kill more people in this room, spiritual heart disease, than any other spiritual malady that we might have. And like I say, it's so tragic because it's so often preventable. Now, before we dive in, 
let me give you some context. The problem, you know, I love preaching through books of the Bible. And so if you don't have a Bible, please grab one, open it up, follow along, because I want you to see where, I'm not just spouting off words off the top of my head. I want you to see where this comes from. And you can actually follow along and see as I do this. But I want you to see as you read Scripture, one of the difficulties is that I can't preach the whole book of Hebrews in one setting. I've got to preach chunks of it. And so I want you to see how the pieces fit in together with other pieces. Okay, so, so we ended last week. Let's back up one verse. We're in 7 through 19 this week. Let's back up one verse to verse uh, 6. And look what he says. He says, we are of his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So, so, so he says, this is how you know. Like you're a part of God's household if you hold on, if you hold on to your hope. But now the question is, we didn't talk about this. What's our hope? Like, is this just an idea? I've got hope? No. Let's say it this way. Who is our hope, class? Yeah, there you go. Jesus, right? It's always, this preacher asks you who, it's Jesus, okay? So Jesus is our hope. If we, here's what he's saying. If we hold fast to Jesus, if when things get rough, we hold on to Jesus, if we don't punt, but we hold on to Jesus, right? If that doesn't die out, then we're part of the household of God. We're Christians. That, that's, a, he's, that, that's, he's, that's his way of talking about Christians. Now look, at the, he doesn't mean you'll never have fluctuating feelings. He doesn't mean there's sometimes when you're super passionate and there's times when you're less passionate. He's saying that in the end, that flickering flame will not be snuffed out completely. You will hold on to Christ. See, here's his problem. He looks, he looks at these readers and says, I, um, I can't look in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know if you're genuine believers. I don't know if you're really Christian, right? You, you, you could look at me. You don't know. I mean, but you're a pastor. That doesn't mean anything. Like, I can't look at you and tell you, I know who in this room is a Christian and who's not a Christian. That's a, that's a problem. So he says, okay, so what I've got to do is I've got to make sure you understand if you are really a Christian, Okay, I, I feel comfortable, but if you're not, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the differences, if you will. I'm going to show you kind of, and so he says, how do, I, how do you know? How do I know? What do you do? Where's your hope? Where's your confidence? Is it, does it stay rooted in Christ, or does it go, you know what, I'm done with this, and you pack it up and you leave. You walk away from it. Because if you walk away, he says, you're not a Christian. If you don't, if you hold fast, you are. Okay, so, so here's what he does. He goes, um, I want to continue this argument. Okay, so you see in verse 6 of chapter 3, he said, uh, if you do this, so he gives us this principle. So you'll hold on, and then he goes, now, look at verse 7 real quick, and look at the first word in verse 7. There's the word, therefore, okay? We, we never start a story with the word therefore, right? You've never picked up a novel and the very first word was therefore. Therefore always follows something. It's saying, I'm going I'm to now conclude or I'm going to show you how this works out. This principle I've just taught you, I want to show you how it works out. And so here's what he does. He says, I'm going to actually give you an illustration of the point I just made. Isn't that always helpful? Somebody tells you this sort of theoretical idea and then they illustrate it for you. He's a great teacher, 
And so he illustrates this point for us, and that's what he's going to do in verses 7 through 11. In a sense, he gives us, if you will, a case study in heart disease. He's going to show us a group of people, and it's tragic. He's going to say, these people died from spiritual heart disease, and it was preventable. And it didn't have to be that way, and so this is why I'm telling you the story. They could have held on, and they didn't. Okay, so, so watch what he does. Here's the case study. He's going he's gonna to do this. He loves, by the way, he loves the Psalms. I think probably this guy had the book of Psalm, uh, Psalms memorized. But what happens in Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, he's quoting that Psalm in this passage. And Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, is a very short summary of an Old Testament story that we find in the book of Exodus and part of the book of Numbers. Okay, so, so he's going to start to tell us this story now. So watch what he does. Um, every Jew would have known this scripture by heart. And so he's, he's writing to people that were formerly, were coming out of Judaism into Christianity. And here's what he says to them. Now, now look, at, look at how he says this. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he goes on to quote scripture. Now that's interesting, isn't it, by the way? Just stop there for a second. Let's just kind of make a side comment. He equates the words of Scripture with the words of the Holy Spirit. Why do I even believe this Bible? I mean, why not the Koran? Why not some other book? Why not a lot of other books? Because the Bible makes claims about itself because what we're taught, what the Bible shows us is it's the Word of God. Like it is literally, I can open it and I am hearing. Paul says all Scripture, every word of this Bible you hold in your hand was breathed out by God. If you want to hear from God, open your Bible. If you want to hear the audible voice of God, open your Bible and read out loud. Okay? That's the idea. This is the Word of God. Scripture. Okay? So he says, today, if you hear. So so he says, this is the words of the Spirit. And then look at his very first word. He says, today. Right today, right now, there's an urgency here. I want you to hear this. You've got whatever he says, you do it, and you do it now. Not, you don't put it off till tomorrow. You don't wait until the next day. You don't say, maybe when the timing is right, maybe when I feel good about it. You do whatever God asks you to do, and you do it today. You do it right now. You don't put it off. There may not be a tomorrow. There not may, may not be a next day. And so he's urgent. He's saying, look, let me show you this. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your heart. Listen to him. So now what he wants to do is he's going to now tell us the story. And he wants to lay it down over the readers of of the original readers. And he wants to lay it down over us as later readers and say, okay, listen to the story and ask yourself, does this apply to me? Am I doing this? Have I done this? Because if you have, I'm I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to keep you on the path, if you will, okay? So now he tells us the story. So let's keep going and look at verse 8. It says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So he's referring to something here. When your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
Here's, that's the story. He's, he's telling us the story that we call the Exodus. What's the Exodus? The Exodus is how Israel got out of Egypt. It is the most told story in all of the Bible, Old and New Testament. It's the most often referred to. In some way, it's being referred to all the time. What happened in the Exodus? Here's Israel. Israel is in captivity to Egypt. They're there for over 400 years. It's brutal. They are slaves. And God comes along, says to Moses, Moses, you're going to be my man. And Moses, and his name, by the way, means to draw out, Moshe. He says, you're going to be the one who draws Israel out of Egypt, and I'm going to use you. And so God says, look, you just go, and you do what I tell you, and watch what happens. So go, Moses goes, and he does what he tells him, and then these crazy plagues show up in Egypt. Right? I mean, do this, put your, put your staff in the Nile and it turns to blood, yuck. You, uh, frogs, boils, darkness, death. I mean, wild things to the point that Pharaoh finally says, fine, leave. And so the people of Israel don't have to lift one finger. They get up and they walk away from, just walk out like today. Everybody get up, we're leaving. What? No, no fighting, no fighting, just walk. You don't have to lift a finger for this. And so they go and they get out into the desert and God meets them out there and he's a pillar of cloud by day that covers them and gives them shade and he's a pillar of fire by night that gives them warmth. And he provides for them in all these miraculous ways and they find themselves very soon, within a few days, their backs are up against the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is bearing down on them and God says, stand back and watch what I do. Moses goes down, puts his rod in the sea and the seas, you've seen the stories, right? You've seen Prince of Egypt. You've seen these, you know, Ten Commandments. And the waters part and they go. And you know, what the, you know what the Bible says? This is crazy. The Bible says God parted the waters with his nostrils. Like, you ever thought about, like, how, how, what, what could you blow with your nostrils? Like, like I, 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 could, I could barely move dust with that, Right? God just snorts and boom, the waters part. He snorts again and boom, the waters kill the entire Egyptian army with the blast of his nostrils. This is the God they're following. And within days of that, I mean, they just sang songs of praise. Within days of that, they're out in the desert and they, they start to complain like, we can't find water now. God has brought us out here to kill us. Like, you're kidding me. Like, you're going to stop believing now? And they start to grumble and they start to complain. Which, by the way, is a sign of unbelief. Like, are you a complainer? You ever known somebody like this? They just complain, complain, grumble about everything. See, that's not innocuous. That's not innocent. He's going to go on to say that may be a symptom of a very bad problem called spiritual heart disease. That may be what's going on and it'll kill you. So they complain, but, but it actually gets worse. So they, they get done with that little episode. A few weeks later, apparently, they're all the way where God wants them to be. They are up 
at the promised land. They're about to go in, and Moses says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take 12 of you, okay? You, 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 you. He goes around, picks 12 guys, says, you're going to go in. I want you to go from top to bottom. I want you to spy out this land, tell us what we're up against, then come in and tell us what, report what you did. So they did. They went to the land. They came back. Uh, I think it was 40 days they were there. They came back, and, and two of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, were like, it's awesome. Let's go. And 10 of the men go, no way. No, it's awesome. No, you, you heard right. It's awesome. But it's terrifying. They're really tall there. Like, this is, like, you read the scripture. Let's say this. Like, they're, and, and you got to imagine, Moses is like, wait, what, remember the whole nostril thing? Like, God killed an army with his nostrils. I think he's got this. Yeah, but, yeah, but those people were like 5'4". These are, these are like as tall as Pastor Chris, but with muscles. So, I mean, this is, this is bad, Right? What happened? What happened? I mean, what they had seen, all they'd seen, what happened between then and now? And, and the writer of Hebrews, quoting Psalm 95, says, they hardened their hearts. They would not believe. And the result, he says, is he says, in his wrath, they will not enter my rest. They don't get to the promised land. You know what happens? God says, here's what's going to happen. You're now going to wander around for 40 years waiting for every single man over the age of 21 to die in the desert except those two that came back and said, it's awesome, let's go. Only they're going to go in. And literally, hundreds of thousands of people perished because 10 men led them and said, we don't need to obey God. We just get to do, you know, what we want to do. Let me, Fiddle Church, let me, let me apply this to us. I'm sure there's application for you personally. Let, let, me, let me talk about us. We have tried really hard, really deliberately, to preach against and to, to, to be uh, vehemently opposed to what the Bible, what we might call legalism. That is that we don't want anybody mixing up and confusing real Christianity with rule keeping. With it somehow, if I just do this and that, what Christianity is, is just behaving rightly, being moral, being religious, and, and that's what we've got to do. So I can't go to R-rated movies unless they're about Jesus, and I can't drink beer, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I must not say that because God will love me less or love me more depending on my behavior. And we mock that, and rightly so. And there are churches that are very heavy on legalism. And we've tried really deliberately to be a church that's really heavy on grace. It says it's not about those things. It's about the grace of God. He loves you as you are, right? He loves you. He takes you as you are. He doesn't say, hey, clean up your act and then come to me. He says, you come to me. I love you now. But here's what happens. We hear that. And are you the two or the ten because here's what will happen if you're part of the 10. You hear that and go, you know, it's all about grace. And God makes demands, but I don't really have to obey them. 
and I, I, don't have to, I don't have to work towards godliness. I don't have to work toward holiness. I don't have to respond today if the Holy Spirit speaks to me. I can do what I want. I can live the lifestyle I want. I can act the way I want. And so here's what happens. Someone comes to Foothill Church that God is saying, man, I want to draw you out of Egypt. I want to draw you out of the sin that is besetting you, that's hurting your life, that's killing you. And I want to draw you into my rest. I want to draw you out of pornography. I want to draw you out of alcoholism. I want to draw you out of those things. And then we think, hey, it's all about grace. So you know what? Hey, buddy, why don't you come to this movie with me where this woman pulls off her shirt? Why don't we watch Game of Thrones together and see full frontal nudity when you're battling pornography? Hey, let's go to the bar and have a beer. It's all about grace. It doesn't matter. And because you refuse to grow in godliness and grow in holiness and take the commands of Scripture seriously, you look and say, I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. And you're part of the ten. And you just lead people astray. It's tragic. Some of you just absolutely will not deal with your own junk because you don't think you have to. Some of you will not grow. Some of you will not submit to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he says today, not tomorrow. Do it now. Like, we're going to baptize some folks here in a little bit. This incredible picture of, of, of the reconciliation, the goodness of God. We're buried with Jesus in baptism. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We're new people. And some of you, I don't care what we say. I don't care what you see in Scripture. You don't have any theological argument that you could give to me. You just simply say, no, I won't do it. I'm not getting baptized. And those of you go, yeah, but I'm waiting for the right moment. I keep, I keep trying to figure that out. Like, are you, do angels have to be here? Like, what, what moment are you waiting for? It's got to look a certain way. It's got to feel a certain way. And here's what's going to happen to you. Here's what happens whenever we don't respond to Christ. When he says, do something, and we find it easy that first time to say, nope, not going to do it this time. Then, then our hearts start to fill up calluses. And they start to harden and man, suddenly we realize I'm not as sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. Why? Because you don't want to deal with the voice of God saying today. And you keep making excuses. And some of you, you can, you can look back right now and go, man, why? There was a day when my heart was so tender towards the things of God, and it's not there anymore. Why? That's why. That's why today. See, Israel goes out into the wilderness. They start to face some trials, and it reveals where their hearts really are, and it shows that what they want to do is punt, and they start to grumble, and they start to complain. And see, here's, look, when Christ comes and changes a life, he doesn't bring grumbling and complaining and hardness of heart. He doesn't bring spiritual heart disease. Like the Bible actually talks about your heart a lot in the Old Testament. The, the, the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and other places talks about how there's coming, like they're in this covenant right now, and he says there's coming a day when I'm going to bring a new covenant, and what's going to happen in that new covenant is I'm going to take out your heart of stone. What's that? That's a hard heart. 
and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to transplant your heart. You're going to have a brand new heart, a brand new life. And I'm not transplanting it with a diseased heart. I'm giving it a good heart. This is a, a pure heart. See, if, if your heart is hard and you have spiritual heart disease, here's what the writer of Hebrews is telling you. You're not a Christian. I'm not trying to be brutal here. I'm just, this is what he's saying. He's like, look, look, look at your heart. Like, you're not a Christian. You're not holding on. their hearts were hard, and they didn't get to the promised land because of it. So you say, okay, there's the illustration. You now help me see, writer of Hebrews, what you meant when you said, if indeed we're part of this house, if indeed we hold fast our, our confidence and our boasting and our hope, and that's what it looks like to not hold fast. So what's, what do we do? Well, the good news is we can prevent it. We can prevent it in those who are walking with Christ, and we can, we can actually give it to those who are not walking with Christ. So let's look at the prevention first, the ounce of prevention, and he's going to give us two things. The first thing he says is guard your heart. So look at verse 12. He says, take care. That's a command. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. There it is. So, so there's this command. You take care. Make sure you don't have an unbelieving heart. So you guard your heart. You, let's say you do a heart checkup, something like that. You know why most people die of heart disease? Because they don't think they can die of heart disease. They eat what they want. They drink what they want. They don't exercise the way they want. I mean, all these things, right? They just don't do anything. And then, oh my goodness, how did this happen to me? Like um, the seminary that I went to, they did a study on about 300 pastors who had had a moral failure. Like, 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 you know, ended up sleeping with their secretary rather than their wife. And they asked them all these questions, and one of the questions was simply this. Did you think it could happen to you? And to a man, they all said, no. I don't think it's possible. We don't think it can happen to us. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? It can happen to you. In fact, it happens in every single Christian community. Like, like here at Foothill Church. Now, this is scary. This is scary because, because what this means is there's some of you here who don't think you have to take care of your heart. I don't have to watch my heart. I don't, I don't think it'll happen to me. I'm okay. I can live the way I want. I can keep doing what I'm doing. I don't have to respond to the voice of the Spirit. That stuff happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me. Let's say it this way. You think you're a Christian and you're not. I, again, I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind right now. I'm not looking out here judging you. I can't see your heart. But here's my, I'm terrified of this. I can't think of a worse thing than to think you're okay and you're not okay. And he says, man, take care. Like, you better be sure, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. You know what the difference is between a true Christian and a, and a false Christian? Belief or unbelief. I mean, it's really this simple. Now, let's define that. 
What do we mean? What does the Bible mean by belief? Because we, we have really mixed up ideas in our culture of what belief means. Belief does not mean, hear me clearly, it does not mean that you give mental assent to a set of facts. So you could even, I could say to you, you know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins? And you could say, yes, I believe that. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. What do you mean by belief? Belief doesn't mean that I have all these external accoutrements of religiosity, right? I, I wear my WWJD bracelet. I wear my big old massive cross. Everybody knows I'm a Christian. I, I, I wear a Fight for Joy t-shirt, right? I wear a Foothill Church hat, whatever. doesn't mean any of those things. You know what belief means? Belief in the Bible, we should probably substitute the word trust. I mean, just full-weighted trust. Not, I think Jesus maybe can, but I'm betting the farm on Jesus. If Jesus can't do this, no one can. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. Do you really believe that? I mean, honestly, do you really believe that you can't save yourself? See, you don't really believe something if when it matters, you don't trust that something. Like, like, let me just give you an example. I really believe, I mean, in theory, that if you strap a parachute to somebody's back and they jump out of a plane, it will bring them safely to the ground. Like, I, I, I assent to that truth. I've seen it happen. I've watched it. I think that'll happen. Do you really believe, or do you have an unbelieving heart, Chris? How can you test that? Put me in a plane, wind me up to 12,000 feet, strap a parachute on my back and say, will you jump out? If I jump out, then you just went, aha, he believes. If I don't, you know, he doesn't really believe. Do you believe in Christ like that? Like, do you believe that you, you literally, I, I got no hope aside from that. I'm betting the farm on that. Like, he will bring me safely home. That I've got nothing outside of him. Look, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, please hear me. We talked about doubt last week. Do we all doubt? Do we all have seed? Yes. I'm saying in the end, do you continue to hold on and go, my hope is there. Yeah, I go through periods of, of this doubting in my heart, but I hold on to Christ. That doesn't come from you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. But he's saying this is how you know. This is the difference between real Christianity and false Christianity. Do you keep believing? Do you have an unbelieving heart. Because look what he says. He says, if you, if you have one, he says, it'll lead you to fall away from the living God. Did you see that? How do you know? Well, an unbelieving heart will ultimately always lead you to fall away from the living God every time. Every time. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? You know, Paul says, Paul says, do a heart exam all the time. He says, he says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. 
that interesting? He's not trying to make us insecure about our faith. He's like, look, look, examine, look at your life and go, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'm holding on. I've been through some rough patches. I've, I've had some hard times. I've, things have come that have really created doubts in my mind, but I've held on to Christ and I love Jesus and he is my only hope. And he says, man, you can have this ultimate assurance if that's you. But then he says something else. He says, guard your heart. But the second thing you can do to prevent it is we can help each other. So look at verse 13. So don't, don't, don't let there be unbelieving hearts, but look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why, Paul? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can actually help each other in this fight for faith. And we're supposed to. He says, there ought to be people exhorting you every day, as long as it's today. Well, it's today, because today means now is the day of salvation. There's still hope for you, because we're still here. God, Jesus hasn't returned. It's today. And we need people around us. We, we need people who are exhorting us and encouraging us all the time. And by the way, this is not sort of, you know, hey, way to go, champ, and a boy, and you're awesome. That's, that's not the kind of encouragement we're talking about. That's fine. That maybe has its place. This is the kind of encouragement that says, keep going. I know you feel discouraged right now. I know your, your legs in the race are feeling like rubber. I know you've got the, you know, the, the acid buildup in your, in your body and you, you, can't, you feel like you can't go another step. And I'm saying, keep going, keep going. I've been there. I know, keep it, just hang in there. Finish the race, finish strong. That, that's the kind of exhortation. Are you that kind of person? Like, do you have those kind of friends around you? Because look what he says. He says, we need that because sin is deceitful. There is this thing. Now, think about that statement. So, they're not deceived by sin. If I'm deceived by sin, I don't know it (laughs) because I'm deceived, right? I, I don't know it. So, guess what? I need you. We need each other to go, hey, you got a blinder here. And I want to show this to you. I mean, this isn't about us all walking around and judging each other and trying to be in each other's business. This is just simply saying, hey, I love you. Are there friends in your life that love you like this? Are there friends in your life that encourage you like this? Are there friends in your life that exhort you and say, keep going and don't give up? I know you feel like I pray for a church that sees people starting to wane in the race and there are people that would surround them and say, don't you give up. Don't you give up, you keep running. You keep doing it. We can finish this. When we talk about home groups around here, growth groups, right? We talk about them all the time. Get in a growth group. You understand? I I hope you get this. That is not a program. If that's a program, if that's all we're doing is, you know, we just kind of like people to be with each other. That's lame. And that's hard. Truth of the matter is, I'm I'm a very... Uh, unsocial person. I don't know how else to say it. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't just naturally gravitate. Like, I just want to hang out with people. And some of you are like that. It's hard. You know why we have growth groups? It's not just kind of, hey, you know, it's kind of good. You, you'd be a better Christian. Because the Bible says it's vital to my spiritual survival to have other people in my life. 
I need gospel-centered friends who will speak into my life and help me. Do you have people like that? Well, maybe we should turn it around. Are you someone like that? Like, do you do that for other people? Do you encourage them? Or are you like coming alongside and putting your arm around them and saying, I'll, I'll run with you. Let, let's do this together. We're going to make it. By the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us, we, this is, we're going to finish this race. Do you do that? That's what he says. We, we need each other. And then look what he says in verse 14. For, so there it is again, he's kind of another logical conclusion, we share in Christ, how do we know? He says it again, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Do you see how, do you see the, how he phrases this? If you hold, you're a Christian. If you don't, you're not and never were. Right? We share in this if we hold. If you're really a Christian, you will hear this warning and you will say yes to it. If not, you'll think, ah, it's for somebody else, not for me. I don't really need this. I, uh, I grew up in a church where the leadership taught me that you could lose your salvation. So that, that was kind of how I operated in life and... Um, wow, I'm not sure which sin does it. I don't know what takes me in, keeps me out. I, I, you know, I'm always terrified if I listen to rock music. Is that going to do it? If I'm you know, at a movie that I should, what, 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 where do I lose it? I remember going to my grandma's church when I was a kid. I think I was in junior high or high school, and I went into one of their programs on Sunday, and I went in there, and on that Sunday, they happened to be teaching and talking to the kids about this idea that you can't lose your salvation. And I was just flummoxed. I mean, I'm like, what? And I went home and I asked my grandma, I'm like, I just heard this. She's like, oh yeah, yeah. she tried to explain it as best she could. I'm like, okay. And then as I started listening sort of on my side of the aisle, I started hearing things like this. See, those people over there, what they're teaching is this. They're saying, you, can't, you, you can walk down an aisle, you, know, you can say some prayer, go, I believe in Jesus, then you can go live like the devil. And I'm thinking, that, that can't possibly be right. Like, all you got to do is just go, I, I believe, and then I can go do whatever I want. How awesome is that? Just say yes to Jesus and then live any way that you please. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. And as I came to find out, that's not what they were teaching. It wasn't that at all. What the Bible teaches, what the writer of Hebrews is going to say over and over again is if you hold on, you're a genuine Christian. If you persevere to the end, it's real. If you don't, it wasn't. You never had it in the first place. You can't lose something you never had. That's what he's saying. He's looking and saying, you hold on. So you look around and go, how do I know? And I get to heaven, I look around and I go, ho, 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 here's everybody who persevered. So what does that mean for now? That's what he's telling you. The way you can know, though, you don't have to live in this eternal insecurity. You can actually look and say, no, I have actually held on, praise God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When things looked terrible, when my finances were crappy, when cancer was calling, when all these things, I held on. I can't believe I did that. And he says, that's how you know. And you look and say, man, 
I made it. We got to encourage each other. But now let me, let me show you one last thing. Here's, here's the cure. Here's the cure. I don't care if you're on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. I'll give you the cure of how you can know that this thing is real. And so look at verse 15. We'll start reading. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, so he repeats what he said. Got to get this. Now watch this. He's going to ask. He's going to ask and answer. He's going to ask three questions and answer them with three questions. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? He's he's got six questions with that introduction that make one point. Persistent unbelief. I'm not talking about this periods of, you know, a little doubt here and there, and I don't know. I'm talking about persistent unbelief in the face of God's mercy will lead to God's judgment. It, it, it'll, lead, it'll lead to God's judgment. In other words, you'll suffer the same fate that all those people that died in the wilderness will face. And you won't make it. So what's the cure? Look at the last verse. So, here's his conclusion. I'm going to now, I'm going to tell you everything. Here it is wrapped in a nutshell for you. We see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There's the issue. And there's the cure. Believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. Now, this is about believing and not doing. Right? Because we're religious creatures, whether we like it or not. And the, the, the DNA, the, 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 the bent of our heart when we hear that there's this possibility of some kind of salvation is what? We always, every one of us go, what must I do? We're like the Philippian jailer, Acts 16. Paul, I get it. I see I have need for something. What must I do to be saved? And how does Paul answer him? Paul doesn't go, well, do, okay. Well, you should, you know, make this trek to Jerusalem on your knees and acting penitent all the way and whip yourself on the back and you got to give so much money and you got to be this way and make sure you don't say any of these bad words. No, Paul just goes, here it is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Just believe. What kept Israel out of the promised land? Unbelief. What will keep these Hebrew Christians who are reading this letter for the first time out of the presence of God, away from all that God has for them? Unbelief. What will keep you from inheriting heaven? Unbelief. Every time, do you believe? Like, do you really believe? Have you placed your full weight on Christ? See, here's the crazy thing. These, 
this story, this illustration that he gives to us, he looks and he says, man, they started off so great. Their exodus was so powerful, so glorious, and it ended so tragically. They got heart disease and they died. How many Christians does that describe? That's what the exodus is, by the way. You know that. The exodus is a, is a physical description, a physical illustration of your and my salvation. How many Christians start off well, start off strong, hear that there can be forgiveness of sins and a promise of eternal life, and they go, oh, I want that. Who doesn't want that? My sin's gone? Eternal life? I I sign up. And then life comes. And I was thinking about that this morning before I came up here. You You know what probably causes more heart disease than anything in a Christian's heart? It's not the horrible trials. It's just the mundaneness of life. Like it's just that day to day, day to day, day to day. And this guy, you know what? I'm, kinda, I'm now kind of bored of the grace of God. I'm going to move on to option two. That might happen in a day. It might happen in a week. It might happen in a year. It might happen in 10 years. But if you have spiritual heart disease, it will happen. If you don't, you'll hear this warning. And you'll say, God, help me. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, anchor my soul through the boringness of life and the tragedies of life and the persecutions of life. Anchor my soul so that I never, never, never give up. God, help us. Let's pray.